Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Today is Friday, January 7th, 2022. Happy New Year. And we are back in studio to start the year off right with another new episode. My name is Mike Wynn. I am one of the co-hosts, co-producers of this purportedly weekly radio program. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, everyone. It's been a while. It has been a few weeks. We have a special guest joining us in studio this morning, Sergeant Cheryl Callahan, uh, who carries a number of collateral duties in the department, but we'll get into some of that in a little bit. And we have another special guest joining us remotely via Zoom, uh, Ms. Kelly Russell from the Elizabeth Freeman Center is... Uh, is going to be calling in. We're going to talk about some stuff with our domestic violence and sexual assault uh, enforcement and prevention and advocacy work. And we'll get to that after we get a check of the weather and some news items. So let's start with the check of the weather, just in case you haven't looked out the window yet. And uh, then we'll come back, talk about a couple newsworthy items, and we'll get into the show. January 7th. Greetings! Today, cloudy and gusty. A high of 28 with snow until the afternoon. Tonight, mostly cloudy and gusty with a low of 11. Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 24. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Plant for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Thank you, Jacob. Uh, so I guess, uh, you know, two, two news items, two newsworthy items off of that. One, it's snowing. I know if you didn't know, look out the window. Uh, we have a winter weather advisory in effect. It's, it's kind of nasty out there. Uh, the roads are uh, a little bit messy. The timing of the storm was bad. And then the other news item we talked about, I think the last time I was in studio, is that weather forecast was provided by Jacob Klein, uh, the new meteorologist, the designated meteorologist for the Pittsfield Police Department. Um, it's pretty cool. If you haven't gone and checked out his website, go do that. He will send you a written weather update every day via email if you sign up for his newsletter. It's been pretty useful. And so far, his predictions are pretty accurate. He does a pretty good job with that. Um, other newsworthy items, there's just a couple things I want to talk about briefly. I think the the one, there's a couple that are feel-good uh, news items, and so I knew this was going on. I think we talked about it a, a few weeks ago. Um, but so Afghan refugees being resettled after the withdrawal from Afghanistan are starting to be relocated in the Commonwealth, and the first couple families have arrived in Berkshire County. And there's a pretty interesting article in this morning's Berkshire Eagle about some of the unique challenges faced by this population and some of the things that are being done to, by local residents to step up and meet some of those challenges. And one of the cool things we've talked about in the program in the, in the past is that if you want to get to know somebody, meet them, um, you know, learn about their background and experiences, one of the best ways to do that is to sit down and share a meal and break bread. 
And so the refugees are arriving in Berkshire County, and we're not necessarily well poised with uh, food choices that are halal, but people are making moves to, to adjust that. And so um, part of our local uh, Muslim community who's already operating a restaurant on Melville Street, and I actually dined with them when I was on leave. I did a little uh, DoorDash from there. It was delicious, um, Saul Mediterranean. But they're going to open a halal market to meet the needs of these arriving refugees. So kudos to those entrepreneurs and those business owners who are seeing both a need and an opportunity and stepping up to fill that gap. Um, the other newsworthy item, I, and I saw this on social media the other day, and I, I missed the story, but there is a little blurb on it in the Eagle. I got to find it here. I had never heard of this organization before. Uh, bear with me for a second here. So we all know that with the chip shortage in the, in the world right now, that new, new cars are, one, incredibly expensive and difficult to get, and used car prices have gone up. All right, I, I can't find the article. You can, oh, wait a minute, there it is. So a local resident was, has won, is given a car. Um, I want to give credit to the organization by... Good News Garage. Uh, she was in this, entered into this program. And so, you know, she couldn't find to purchase a used car, but she was eligible to participate in this giveaway. So, um, LaDoria Green of Pittsfield was awarded a 2005 Subaru Leg Legacy by the Good News Garage. That's just a pretty good feel good story. All right. And the last news item I want to talk about is not local, but I saw it through some police pages on social media last night and then it was on the morning news cycle this morning i think it was in minnesota uh and you can just google it state trooper uh blizzard so state troopers returning to his car after helping a motorist and there's no audio but you can see the frustration because he's his cruiser is pulled over on the edge of the median to the left of the interstate he's walking towards the front of his cruiser, um, facing into his cruiser cam. And you can see just from his position and his posture and kind of his, um, the way he's gesturing, he's annoyed that these 18-wheelers are going by him at such a high rate of speed, right? The, the roadway is just horrendous. There's still snow coming down. And he kind of like says something, I would imagine, snarky to the first 18-wheeler. And then he's looking at the second 18-wheeler that's barreling down on his position. And all of a sudden, he just dives out of the way. And then he rolls back towards the front of the cruiser because coming up behind this 18-wheeler deciding that, you know, despite these snow conditions and the fact that everybody's going too fast, an SUV decides to pass the 18-wheeler between the 18-wheeler and the cruiser, completely loses control of it, goes shooting off the edge of the interstate, misses the trooper's cruiser by feet, and buries itself in the median. Slow down, pull over, drive appropriately and safely for the conditions. Yes, you're in a hurry. You have somewhere to be. You're not going to get there if you bury your car in the median. Just slow down. We have to do this reminder every year. We'll have to bring Sergeant Madalena back in yet again and talk about winter weather driving. Um, but it's, it's just not worth it. Slow down. You're not going to get there at all if you have an accident. Fortunately, the trooper is fine. The driver of the car did not sustain any injuries. But that could have been horrible. So slow down, pull over. All right. Good morning, all. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. It, Lieutenant, we were talking about it before we came on air. I feel like I haven't been in studio in a month. I know yeah, it's, it's been a few weeks. I know it's not quite a month, but it feels like a long time. I, uh, 
I took a little time off for the holidays. Took uh, left left the Wednesday before Christmas and didn't come back until the Monday after New Year's. Um, it's a and, good, good time to recharge. Well, I try to, I try to take that leave block every year, but I also try not to do a delegation of authority to a captain to ruin their holidays. So normally I take the leave block, but I end up coming in and, and doing some stuff or taking some call-ins during that time. In the entire, you know, it's not quite two weeks, I did 90 minutes worth of, like, police work. You know, other than some phone calls and emails and stuff. But to go into the station for a grand total of 90 minutes, that's never happened before. That's pretty good. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah. All right. So enough about that. Did everybody have happy holidays? Good holidays? Yeah, it was a little different, um, but... All in all, it was uh, it was good. Good, was Cheryl. Good. I worked. You worked, of course. You worked. So it was I'm junior sergeant. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But it was uh, you know good overall, anyways. Kids are healthy. They are. They're great. They're displaced. They are. You're you're. They're in much warmer climate though. It, I think the only way your children could be farther away would be if they were in Australia and China. They're pretty far away. This is true. But everybody's well. They are. They're doing great. That's they amazing. Happy and healthy and. Loving where they are, so I can't complain. Good. I know we don't get into it. I know he had a little bit of a scare going in the end of the year, so I'm happy to hear. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing better. Thank you. Great. And Kelly, are you there? I see your name. Do we lose Kelly again? Kelly. Dave, get in here. <laughs> it might be on her end. Does she turn her mic off? Is she muted? All right. We'll give Kelly a chance. Right. To, <laughs> we'll give Kelly a chance to work out the remote access while we continue our conversation. So, Sergeant Callahan is with us this morning, and as uh, we said, you know she she is currently the junior sergeant in the department. Um, sergeant again, and uh, Cheryl is is a member of the department. Like many, like most, I would say, um, supervisors and commanders in the department who, in addition to her primary function as a shift patrol supervisor, carries a lot of collateral duties. And we're not going to talk about all of those collateral duties in detail. We're here today to talk about one in particular. Um, But in addition to being the department's liaison to the um, Elizabeth Freeman Center and the VAWA STOP grant, so the Violence Against Women Act STOP uh, federal grant program, um, which she works on with Kelly, and we'll come back to that. You, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess this up. So in addition to that, you're our representative to the High-Risk Domestic Violence Task Force. That's a fairly new assignment. You're, for all intents and purposes, although it's not the, the actual title, you essentially serve as our medical control. So basically, you're responsible for making sure that our first responder Training skills and equipment and supplies are are up to snuff and what they need to be, right? So that yep. and that is kind of just an always persistent thing. If you've never worked in in emergency response, you wouldn't understand this. But simple things like a patrol officer rolls out and assists somebody on a crash, pulls out a medical kit, rips into a bunch of four by four gauze pads and and some tape or whatever. Somebody needs to make sure that that stuff makes it back into the kit before the next officer needs it. It's constant and thankless. So you're responsible for that. And you've also been responsible in the last couple of years for kind of helping me as we try to facilitate and expand our wellness programs for our own personnel. And most recently, that includes stepping up as one of the two supervisors taking command of our new 
peer support counseling unit. Yes. And plus, you have to go to work every day and just do police work. Yes. Yeah. Did I miss anything? Uh, the Violence Crimes Task Force as well. Did which I say are that two, one? Which are two well, separate two things. two separate task yes. forces. So that's, that's right. the Domestic Violence Task Force, which is a collateral um, multidisciplinary yeah. team across Berkshire County. And then the new Violent Crimes Task Force. And then the Violence Crimes Task Force, which, which is, is investigative. Basically mutual aid. Yes. All right. Yes. So two task force assignments. All right. Kelly, did we get you back yet? She said she's there. She said uh, she can hear us. Everything's on. For some reason we can't hear her, though. This would be funny if, I, if the camera was on. Kelly, if you can hear us, blink three times. I'm blinking. <laughs> oh, oh, she's there. there. We she got is. her. We got her. Nice. She's back. <laughs> it was her magic words. <laughs> Sometimes you just need a little humor. Morning, Kelly. Right. So before morning. before we get into the uh, the details of the programming here, how were your holidays, Kelly? They were very good. I was able to take the week off also and spend some time up north with family in Vermont. Um, so it was nice. Came that, back to work Monday. That's awesome. You got the entire week off. I did. That's got to be a rarity because, as we know, um, unfortunately, as the holiday season is celebrated by most, it's also a period of time where incidents of int intimate partner violence and family violence can see an increase because people are, you know, as families gather, tensions rise, right? So right. good for you. Thank right. you. So we've had some involvement this, I know it long predates my time as the chief. We've had some involvement in a formal partnership with the Elizabeth Freeman Center for a long time. Do either of you knew, know how long ago we actually established the VAWA program? I think it was even before I started. I've been with Pittsfield 14 years now, and I think it was in my first year that they just, I was working day shift, and they said, hey, there's an advocate outside. Can you just go talk to her and yeah. see what she needs? Yeah. And she was new to the area and to Elizabeth Freeman, and she and I met and had yeah. no template or baseline yeah. and just ran with it. It's it's long before 14 years because even when I was a patrol officer, we had Sue. Right? Yes. It, it, the the extent of the collaboration and cooperation wasn't anywhere near it is is what it is today. But basically, we had. Uh, VAWA domestic violence advocate on call, even when I was a patrol officer on midnights, where we could call them and they would come in and do the paperwork for us um, on a restraining order so we could then get back into operations. So it's got to be all of 20, that was 27 years ago that I was patrol officer. So it's got to be all of 25 years. Yeah, it's got to be at least that. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the Violence Against Women Act Stop Grant Program funds this partnership and this collaboration. Uh, and as a result of that, Kelly is assigned to us as a domestic violence advocate. And you provide services to Pittsfield, North Adams, and also Adams? Yeah, so I have an office in both the Pittsfield and Adams Police Departments. Okay. And I act as liaison between the Elizabeth Freeman Center and the police departments. Yeah. Um, oftentimes, if there's something going on with a client that another advocate is working with, they can call me and I can reach out to the PD or reach out to the client and kind of collaborate what the next steps are as far as her case goes. And so we've talked about it in the past, and we've had Janice on recently, um, but the Elizabeth Freeman Center is... Um, it, it, 
historically is like the Women's Services Center and Rape Crisis Center. That was kind of the the overall title, but it's a it's evolved. It's essentially our domestic violence and sexual assault resource center. It's got a much broader mission than it did uh, even even when I started. Um, and so the the advocacy program is essentially to make sure that you know in addition to the enforcement of the laws and the protection of the victims that when the police have responded to a report of domestic violence and or sexual assault uh into intimate partner violence um that the follow-up is is also taken care of right the patrol officer who responds to the report they're not going to have the skills and the tools and the opportunity or the time to stay in touch with that victim, to stay in touch with that victim's families, to make sure that not only does the case continue, which is, you know, from a law enforcement point of view, our interest, but there can be all kinds of other collateral issues as a result of helping somebody escape from a violent situation. And that could be housing, um, food insecurity, you know, all kinds of transportation transportation through the haven program locations for their pets um so you are both far more expert at this than i could ever hope to be so i'm just going to stop and let you talk about the work you do and the programs that you're involved in and how you continue to assist victims and families so my my role with cheryl is it's it's, it's big but what normally what we do is we meet three sometimes four days a week i receive Cheryl runs all the domestic and or some sexual violence police reports, gives them to me, and I outreach the victims and survivors in all of those cases. And then I just kind of send them to different services. I see people short term, kind of stabilize the situation. And when they're more stable, then I will pass them to an ongoing counselor for regular counseling. And so when you talk about the, the resources that are available or making a referral, what does I mean? What is the scope of that? What does that include? I'm, I'm sure there's some issues around just counseling about the the relationship, but there's other there's other resources and referrals that people may need in the short term, and then as they extricate themselves from these situations, that continue. Yeah. So the, depending on what's going on, you know exactly what their case is. We um, will work. We have safe plan advocates who will work with them through district or probate court to get a restraining order if that's necessary. Connect them to the DA's office. They'll get assigned a victim witness advocate. <coughs> um, and just all around wraparound services for people that are affected by domestic and sexual violence. And Cheryl, what's your day-to-day -day role in the VAWA STOP program? So as Kelly said, I basically run all reports and see what's connected to anything that's domestic violence or sexual assault related. And I run them, I'll reach out to her. We meet a couple times a week and go over the cases. Sometimes there's not something criminal that we can deal with, but it's something that patrol might respond to numerous times. And so we're seeing the pattern. There's a pattern of uh, domestic abuse, even if it's not physical. So there's some controlling tendencies that we'll see or um, there's some financial control that we're seeing and and so this person can't leave or there's children involved 
And um, so sometimes I'll just reach out and say, I have a situation. I have a, a person or a family. Um, you know, can you outreach her and just talk to her? Sometimes people don't want to talk to us and tell us what's actually going on. And so patrol does a great job at building relationships um, with our community and uh, these people until they're comfortable enough to talk to us. Um, and Kelly's been an integral part of that because, you know, we explain who she is and what she does. And um, sometimes they start with her first and then they get comfortable with her and then she brings them back to us and where they get the strength and courage to then move forward. Um, I think Kelly's uh, underestimating some of the other things that she does. Um, you know, Kelly and Elizabeth Freeman Center, uh, they do a lot of education. There is um, a, I think it's called a finance class or something like that. That money they school. For money school. They they uh, provide for people um, just to you know teach them the basics on you know how to. Um, Kelly can talk a little bit more about that, but you know they go through the school and you know a lot of times they've never had to take care of their own finances, their own money, um, because somebody else has been doing that for them. Yeah. So I want to. You said two things that I want to I want to really parse at least before we go to the break and, and maybe Kelly can help me with this. So you kind of quickly said maybe not physical. And I think that when, you know, we law enforcement and police department, we, we're talking to the community and we say we're dealing with issues. Uh, and we, so it's we always use the term domestic violence. It, but violence can occur in a bunch of different ways. And usually when you're dealing with a situation of domestic violence, there's some underlying things that maybe are not physical. Um, and I don't think that many people who have never, you know, God, God bless them. Fortunately, they've never been personally involved, although we all know somebody who has. We know that um, they don't understand the magnitude of the scope of how these relationships, you know, dysfunctional as they may be, evolve. And so domestic issues can can clearly be physical that's you know that's the one that you know we got to get in there and take steps to save their life but they can be emotional they can be financial they can be collateral like we we've it's been a long time since we talked about the haven program but you know there are victims who will not leave a dangerous situation because they're worried about leaving their pets behind right. um, and so there's all types of leverage points in a relationship that an abuser can take advantage of before they ever raise a hand to somebody or you know collaterally at the same time simultaneously um and so we can go into a situation where nobody has been you know or at least nobody's going to admit and tell us that they've been hit yet but they're still the victim of domestic abuse right um and figuring out a way to extricate them from that is complicated and it's beyond the scope of your your average patrol response the other part of it that you said and again you know this the study sociology vic, criminology victimology evolves so these numbers are very very dated but when i went through the academy we talked about these repeated cycles and you said patrol has been there time and time again like when i went through the academy the number was seven we were going to have to respond seven times before we could convince a victim to accept services um Unfortunately, depending on the magnitude of the abuse, in in seven responses, somebody could die. Right? That's a lot of times to go back. So, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to make light of that. I'm not chuckling because it's funny. I'm chuckling because it it's fright it frightens me. Right? Um, when I learned that as a patrol officer, and then 
responded to some situations, you just look at a victim and say, you've got to help me help you. We've got to get you out of here. And sometimes they don't even know they are a victim. They right. don't think that it's anything we can help them with, with or that it's anything even wrong with their situation. So this this idea of money school, um, you know, I know from you know family members and experiences that I've looked at not in a law enforcement capacity that in many cases that's a driving factor if you've never had a bank account if you've never personally paid rent if you've had to rely on someone else to hand you the bank card or the debit card so you could go get groceries and we're sitting there at three o'clock in the morning saying help us get you out of here where am I gonna go what am I gonna do that's frightening it, it's not um this has nothing to do with this conversation but over the holidays i've spent a little time with my mom and uh, we were talking about a story from back you know when i was a kid a girlfriend of hers it wasn't a, a abuse situation but it was a messy divorce this woman was elderly back then and um she had never handled a checkbook never right she she was married young raised her family was a stay-at-home housewife never handled a checkbook her husband divorces or leaves her and suddenly she gets overdraft notices and my mom's trying to explain to her that she doesn't have any money in the bank. And she's, her response was, how can I not have money? I still have checks left. <laughs> it, she didn't understand. Um, and that's a ridiculous example. But that is, in fact, the lack of understanding that people have about finance. And so we can't help you move into your own safe situation if you don't know how to pay the bills. That it's a Kelly, you said wraparound, right? It's that expansive. It could be something as simple as how to go set up a, a electric account with the electric company so you can right. you know, get power in the house or in, in the apartment. Yeah. And one thing I've learned in um, doing this work is that it's not a one-size-fits-all. Everybody's unique. Every situation is different. Um, their services, what they, what they require is different. Um, and then in somewhere... There's also substance abuse and or mental health issues that is sprinkled in there as well. And so on both sides, on both sides. And so um, they have resources on their end, but now we have more resources on our end. And so it's been a great um, opportunity for Kelly to meet Ariel and Tess Mm -hmm. and for the four of us to work together, because oftentimes we all know the same people. So I have um, I'm not going to get into this before we go to the break, because I want to spend a little more time digging into this, but I want to talk about that relationship and something um, that we launched yesterday that I'm actually kind of excited about because I think going back to your point that patrol is going time and time again, uh, but we can't make an arrest. This this new opportunity is going to be a game changer for our community. I'm pretty excited about that. We'll talk about it in the second half. Um, I just had this thought. So, oh, yeah. So I, the lieutenant just showed me a text message. He got a, that was from Sergeant Gray, right? Yep. So he got a text message from Sergeant Gray who was listening to the program on his way home from his midnight shift. And he wanted to let us know that he and his partner back in the day, now Captain Grady, they were assigned as liaisons to the EFC in 94 and 95. Uh, and they got out of the academy in 94 and 95. So I'm guessing that at the time it was like, nobody else wants this assignment. You're the junior guys. Here you go. Um, but I actually remember when I got out of the academy that those were those were my go-tos when I went to the midnight shift. Um, and so this is something you learn in the academy. You gain some experience with it. But I, I never worked in this area. Um, that my involvement in it in any capacity 
didn't become permanent until I became the chief and then I had to administer the grants and, and work with Janice. Um, but one of the, so my background and the lieutenant and I have talked about this is in tactical. So tactical and negotiations, how to resolve crisis situations. And one of the things you learn about as a tactical officer is this idea that in a, in a dynamic hostage taking, depending on how long it goes, hostages can experience what we call Stockholm syndrome. They start to identify with their captors because they're relying on their captors for food, for safety, for comfort. Uh, and the, the name Stockholm Syndrome actually is named for a bank robbery in Stockholm where by the time the police could resolve it, the hostages were defending the hostage takers. And after they were liberated, um, a couple of them actually ended up marrying their hostage takers. It's a, it's a weird psychological dynamic. And when I hear our officers and, and our staff talk about long-term domestic abuse situations, that's what I think of. Um, that you're completely relying on somebody for all of your basic life needs, and you'll let them do pretty much anything because you can't, you can't see how you're going to get your security needs, your safety needs, your self-actualization needs without that person. But, yeah, that's true. And one of the things that I've learned is, yeah, we learn about it in the academy, um, but there's so much more that yeah. you just don't know about. It's, it's not something you can learn in a classroom. No. Um, you learn the basics. Yeah. You, you learn the elements. You learn you know, what we can do and when we can do it. But once we started to dive into this and Kelly and I started to work, it, it just it's a snowball effect almost when you can get into it. And you don't even recognize the signs when you're fresh no. out of the academy. And so my goal now that I'm a little bit more of a senior officer is for new guys that are coming in to kind of advise them and and show them to recognize something that you're just not going to recognize right away. We, you and I spend a lot of time talking about our officers' resiliency and mental health. And one of the things we talk about is you've got these calls that they just stick with you, right? And there's no, there's no predictability to what it may be. For some people, it may be a, a violent crime. For some people, it may be a car crash. For some people, it may be a crime scene. For me, one of them is the first nasty, violent, domestic I worked as a patrol officer and had to get a restraining order by myself. Uh, and it's been 25 years, and I can't shake the image of sitting across the kitchen table from that one. Like, I, I drive by the house all the time on my way to and from the gym, and I can't get it out of my head. Because despite everything she had told me just happened, she did not want to leave. And I couldn't leave her there. She, I, I know the history that or what happened after that if we hadn't gotten her out of there she would have been killed there's no question um and so you know that that flashback pops in my head all the time all right it's time to get a station identification check and another check of the weather and then we'll come back and continue this conversation and i'll share yesterday's story with you because i think you're going to find this pretty cool all right forecast from BorkshireWeather.com for Friday, January 7th. Greetings! Today, cloudy and gusty. A high of 28 with snow until the afternoon. Tonight, mostly cloudy and gusty with a low of 11. 
Tomorrow, sunny with a high of 24. That's your latest WTBR forecast. For more weather forecasts and education, go to BerkshireWeather.com. I'm Jacob Klein for WTBR, and I hope you all have an amazing day. Cheers, everyone! Support for WTBR comes from Shire Brewhouse at the Stationery Factory in Dalton, offering music bingo on Tuesdays, trivia on Wednesdays, live comedy or music on Thursdays, and karaoke on Fridays. Find their menu online at shire.beer, located at 19 Flansburg Ave in Dalton. Missed an episode of your favorite show? Have no fear because we have podcasts. Type in WTBRFM.com forward slash podcast on your favorite browser and search for your favorite show. It's that simple. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union, proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal, with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair. BeFair is one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people we support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. Support for WTBR comes from Berkshire Community College. BCC provides access to higher education to everyone in Berkshire County and beyond, offering more than 50 high-quality programs, small class sizes, and an affordable education to help their students of all ages achieve their dreams. At BCC, their middle name is Community. And from County Ambulance, providing quality, professional, efficient medical care and medical transportation services to the citizens of Berkshire County. Online at countyamb.com. Good morning. Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTBR FM 89.7. I, I'm, I'm all over the place. That's it. I got, I got emails coming in on the phone. My watch is sending me messages. I'm looking at the sign over your head. We're on WTBR and PCTV. Enough said. <laughs> Welcome back. I think last one of the shows that I did it um, when you were away, Chief, it was like, you know, 87.9. <laughs> so we're chuckling about this, but as I started to do the intro this morning, I had just been listening to um, our, our our local radio station, um, 95.9, where, you know, we frequently, I, I haven't been there in a long time, but Darren's frequently out there. And I was definitely afraid that I was going to use their station numbers in the intro because <laughs> I had just listened to their intro. Um, we've been t- trying since we started this program to get Marjo and Slater to do a remote from here so that they'll be on our show because they always call us and ask us to be on their show, right? Fair's fair. I'm throwing this out there. Slater, Marjo's on vacation right now, but when she comes back to the gym, I'm going to get her on that. Slater, Marjo, you got to do a remote from out here, and uh, we'll talk to you about what it's like to actually know what you're doing when you're producing a radio <laughs> show. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Help. Yeah, right. Uh, I apologize for the confusion during that uh, reintroduction. It's uh, it's Friday, first Friday in January. We're back. I'm trying to make this thing work. I have been reminded and scolded that I have not been um, doing enough to remind everybody that not only can you listen to us uh, almost every Friday, you know, holidays and then travel sometimes interrupt, but most Fridays, you can watch us live and archived on PCTV, but because of the way WTVR and PCTV are handling the archives of these programs now, we're also available on podcast. So you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform and uh, listen at any time at your convenience. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, 
wherever wherever you normally listen to your podcast. All right. So um, before the break, I was talking about something that kind of about, uh, we lost Kelly for for our viewers and listeners at home. We lost our connection. I'm guessing this is a weather related internet outage, but we'll continue to watch the board and see if she manages to sign back in. Um, so. Cheryl, Sergeant Callahan had mentioned that, you know, patrol goes time and time and time again. And sometimes there's just not enough information provided to get to the point of probable cause where we can bring criminal charges. We know something's going on. We know uh, we know it's not good, but it doesn't rise to the level where we can do what we primarily do, which is enforce the law. Uh, and. Domestic violence is clearly an area, as we discussed before the break, where that might happen. There's a there's a pattern and practice and repetition, but there's just not enough for us to do that. But that's not the only place that happens. That can happen with mental illness. It can happen with substance abuse. It can happen with socioeconomic challenges. There's all kinds of um, pinch points where somebody is receiving services, maybe from a variety of government agencies and service providers, but it just, it's not enough. And for most of my career, that has been an incredible source of frustration for me because we know, right, we're there, we're dealing with the same party, but there's, there's nothing any one agency can do alone. And so before I went to the police academy, my, my first employment with the city, uh, going back to the fall of 1993, was as the director down at the Westside Neighborhood Resource Center. And one of the first assignments I was given was to call a meeting of a bunch of service providers and try to figure out how we could be better at collaborating and sharing information and providing services to the most disadvantaged. And we, we couldn't make it work. There was so much territoriality and so many silos and so much concern over protection and, and privacy and confidentiality that it just wouldn't work. And so a few years ago, I was at a conference out on the coast um, with the Mass Major City Chiefs, and my friend and partner, Chief Brian Kyes from Chelsea, was sharing uh, what is referred to as the Chelsea Hub. It's a multi-agency, multidisciplinary, problem-solving team for the most high-risk residents in the community. And... Uh, came back and talked about it a little bit and you know same stuff same territoriality same um silos so got frustrated so this spring i was out there again same guys this time brian wasn't just talking about it he brought his people down to kind of get a little more into the weeds and so after i talked to captain bachelor and his partner dan cortez i pulled him aside and said you got to tell me you know how did you get around this issue of jealousy and jurisdictional issues and and privacy concerns and so they gave me the the blueprint and the law so since august august we've been doing a like a program management team internally reaching out to our partners within the city outside of the city uh last month we had about 50 maybe a little more, 60 service providers from about 45 agencies from Pittsfield and then a, a separate group from Northern Berkshire through the Northern Berkshire Community Coalition do two days of training out at BCC. Got everybody trained up, realized we still had a couple gaps, recruited a couple more people, and yesterday the Pittsfield Hub had their first table meeting. 
uh, more just an organizational meeting, get to know you kind of meeting, but going into, um, coming into the week, our co-responders had identified that they had at least two clients out there in the community that were going to rise to the level of highly at risk. And so after we did a, uh, organizational meeting and, and kind of just a meet and greet, um, Tess and Ariel decided that based on what had happened over the weekend, they were going to introduce one of these situations to the table. And so within 90 minutes, we had formed the table, had the first organizational meeting, introduced some new people who weren't at the training, briefed out the situation in a confidential manner, got it to um, through the level of, of what we you know take the situation from a confidential tier one, table one, up to a high risk profile. And that meeting started at 1130. And by two o'clock, we had three, eight, four agencies knocking on this resident's door with a plan to put her in treatment if she accepted assistance. This particular individual is not currently involved in a, in a domestic violence situation, but no, but she has been. She has been. Right. And because of some of her other high-risk behaviors, probably at risk of some um, sexual violence, if even not intimate. Um, and I don't. I didn't get an update this morning yet, but as of 4 o'clock yesterday, we were pretty optimistic that um, the plan that they developed during that level 4 screening yesterday was going to help get her some assistance fairly quickly. And, you know, there was a ton of people in the introductory meeting, but it really came down to PPD, co-responders from Brian, Department of Mental Health, uh, Berkshire Health Systems, because we were going to need some help from their uh, mental health providers. And in an unusual partner, um, what used to be, oh, Berkshire County Sheriff's Office, I forgot, Lindsay, because uh, this person had a, a short incarceration, so she was eligible for services from them. And what used to be known as the Office of Community Corrections, which is now, I can't even, it's uh, Community Justice, it's, it's still on 4th Street. Because she spent a brief period of time incarcerated in the past, she's eligible for all of the services that they provide in the community when she comes out of treatment. Um, so five agencies coming together saying we've identified this person this is the path forward here's a plan so that wouldn't have happened um here it, it wouldn't have happened here two months ago uh but now um this organization this group will be meeting regularly we got to get you looped in on that meeting plan um and, you know it's it, it, this is a big deal it's a big deal i'm very excited and proud of it it's been 27 years trying to get to this point yeah so you you had um all like a large meeting with all these organizations and only three or four were involved in that case but my understanding is that everybody listens to see what that agency can do so right. so in that case maybe it's three or four but another case it would be you know it could be another number and another combination of agencies right so what happens you know without getting into a ton of detail about it what happens is all of the table participants come together on on the schedule for us to start it's going to be every two weeks and once they you know get through their administrative business situations we don't call them cases situations are introduced and they're introduced anonymously mm. so you might get a situation that says okay we've got a male 20 to 30 mental illness substance abuse homeless you know you just, they, they give the risk profile 
And then they have a brief conversation to reach consensus. Does this rise to the level that we should elevate it to a further conversation? If everybody, you know, reaches consensus, then that without any detail, you say name, date of birth. How many of you are familiar with this or have worked with this person in the past? All the agencies that say, okay, yep, we've got them. They've been on our caseload. They're currently on our caseload. We have a plan. They then convene a smaller group meeting. Then the details of the current risk are shared among those providers. And then after that second kind of batch, they say, okay, who should take the lead? We introduce this. Who do you need to help you? Pick three or four more partners. Get it down to a small team. They plan an immediate, well, not immediate, but, you know, within 48-hour intervention. Go stage the intervention, and then they're required to report back to the big group. So uh, a higher degree of accountability. But we started meeting at 1130. We were breaking up from that meeting by 1240, and they were in the field going to the client's house at 2. So, And then, you know, the next meeting would be a different situation. It'll be a completely different team that's assembled to go do the intervention. But they're committed to doing the intervention shortly after the conclusion of the meeting, and they're obligated to report back on their efforts by the next meeting. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I talked to Ariel a little bit about it yesterday. Yeah. She was very excited. She, she was excited to come back and report. Yeah. So um, I'm excited to you know talk more about this program and introduce it more because the idea is that the the scenarios, the, the situations, the referrals should come from a wide swath of representation in the agencies. But the reality is... There, we know there are people in the community that are not just underserved. They're not being served at all. So as this possibility becomes more and more known, I think we're going to get situations from the community. So, yeah. All right. So stand by for more on the Pittsfield Hub, brand new for 2022. All right. You look like you got something on your mind, Lieutenant. No. <laughs> no, I was just you know I was just thinking aloud, you know, thinking quietly how um, police operations have changed and evolved. So, I'll, I'll, in the interest of full disclosure, I'll tell you when I first heard about the Chelsea Hub, I looked at Brian and Dave, and I'm like, "Why are you guys running this? This is not police work. This is not law enforcement." And um, they're like, "No, it, it's really not." But we're kind of out there. We're on the front end. We deal with the people the most frequently. Uh, and in their community, um, th their community looked to them for the leadership, right? They're, they're not doing the work. The participants at the table are doing the work, but they were looking at the PD to kind of just like keep the momentum going. And so when I first introduced this in Pittsfield with that knowledge, with that background, I was like, it doesn't have to be us. It, it doesn't, you know, I don't care that I'm sharing this information with you. It doesn't have to be us. This doesn't have to be a PD driven thing. Um, and I uh, just, you know, I don't, this isn't a criticism. I honestly expected because of the, the relationship I have with some of my community partners and colleagues, I honestly expected to be like, yeah, you're right, you know, we'll take it. And then we would just take a step back and be a participant at the table. That hasn't happened. And then even during yesterday's meeting, I was like, anybody else wants to take the lead on this? You know, you do you. We'll be happy to support you. Nope. Um, it's, it's not police. It's not law enforcement work. But it is peace officer work, um, and so 
you know, if, if that's what our community wants, they want us to take the lead, we'll take the lead. All right. So, Cheryl, what else um, related to the EFC in particular and the VAWA Stop program, what else do you think our viewers and listeners should know? I think it's great for them to know that it's available to them that people like Kelly and Kelly and I and our department are available to them um, to even just talk to, to let them tell us their story, to give us their background. And because sometimes, as we mentioned before, they don't even realize or think that they're a victim of anything. They think it's normal or, um, or even if they know that it's not right or they've come to that conclusion themselves they don't know where to go, where to go. or how to how to do this or you know there's still shame there's still questions there's still um all of that in every facet of what we do for people and so you know we're here i want people to know that we're here for them and it is great because i get a lot of phone calls from people who say hey can you reach out to so and so she's having an issue with a family member and she just doesn't know what to do. Or, you know, hey, can you call this person? Or even patrolmen have come to me and said, I was on a call last night and something didn't sit right. This didn't feel right to me, but I didn't see anything more. What else can I do? Or what else am I missing? Or, you know, it's, it's great to have just the communication and the conversation with people to explain to them that maybe what they're seeing is normal. You know, sometimes a behavior of somebody, it's not like what we see on TV, right? Right. <laughs> Police work on TV is not what we see in the real world. Um, and what our, you know, victims look like, they don't look the same on TV. And so sometimes people react in a different way. Trauma response is another, you know, I don't want to say catchphrase, but it's a new term that's out there on mm. what we see. Trauma-informed. And trauma-informed. Yeah training yeah and so sometimes me explaining to somebody that's a trauma response to something that happened to that person um and and they're just learning that now because it's not something that they ever saw or thought that they would see you know somebody laughing after being sexually assaulted that to a normal person may seem odd Odd. but it's actually something that happens it's just how our brain pre-programmed no thought intended it's how it's how your body bleeds off emotion right so a couple things based on what you just said that i think as we wrap up are kind of important um they they may not know they're a victim right so some of this stuff is generational if that's how you grew up you don't know anything different and unfortunately you, you 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 seek out what you know and so it gets replicated to tie it into our news story cultural Unfortunately, we've spent more and more time over the duration of my career dealing with people who have relocated to the United States that where they came from, this wouldn't be unusual or a crime, trying to explain that to them. Um, This idea of trauma-informed, right, that some of this is just a result of dealing with stuff that uh, happened to them in the distant past. Right. I, we haven't talked about it. You know, I've, I've talked about the fact that, you know, we're trying to work on um, our officers, mental health and resiliency and, and some of the work that I've done personally. But, you know, coming to conclusions about stuff that happened way, way back when that you, you didn't think about. I didn't think about for over 40 years. Right. So you got to deal with that. Uh, there's just so many elements and so many facets. And. 
then you get to the again, you know, in educating and informing our officers because when somebody has recently gone through a crisis or a trauma, the way they behave is not what we're conditioned to expect. Right. And I have this really good example that I tell uh, patrolmen, new patrolmen, or anybody out in the listening audience, if you've been in the military or you've been through an academy setting, you learn really quick what to do so that the drill instructor or your DI does not come hounding you, right? Everybody wants to be the great person. Do we really learn quick what not to do? And so it's very similar. You just learn in the academy to toe the line, not ask any questions, not move forward. You know, you just do so that they're not in your face. It's similar. It's very similar. It's much more traumatizing, but it's very similar in domestic violence situations or just a domestic, you know, even if it's not violent, it's the threat. It's the fear. And somebody in that position learns very quickly, you know, the eggshells what to do and what not to do to get through the day. And and that's a great kind of parallel and comparison because for our personnel, for law enforcement personnel or, you know, emergency services personnel who, God bless them, have never been through anything like this, they they may not recognize it. They may not draw a comparison. So there's, there's something to look at. But if you're not in emergency services and, you know, good for you, you've never been through this, it may not make sense to you that you see this in your neighbor, but it can't be that because they're making light of it or, you know, they're they're laughing about it and you feel like something's wrong, but it can't be what you think it is because they would have said something. They would have left. No, it you know, trauma responses are not what you expect them to be. So if the hair on the back of your neck stands up, if something feels wrong, you know, we keep saying it, it's trite and it's overstated. But if you see something, say something, right? That you may be the only person that victim has that can advocate for them in that immediate situation to get them some help. Right. All right. Final thoughts, Cheryl. Looking forward to warmer weather. Chief. <laughs> <laughs> That's my final thought as I'm shivering in the studio today. It is a little chilly in here today. No, I'm looking forward to, you know, the, the year. Ke- Kelly and I have a great team. We, we joke that we are each other's longest relationships. Um, you know, we didn't really know where this was going to go, but um, she, she is um, a strong person to, um, to, to, for everybody, for our officers to talk to, for, for anybody who's looking to seek some information or some advocacy. Um, and so I really enjoy working with her and look forward that's, to what 2022 is going to bring for all of us. That's such an interesting observation because, you know, the lieutenant said earlier, our profession has changed. It's evolved. You know, we do things now that we never would have done 27 years ago. And, you know, one of the things that is in the process of evolving is redefining, you know, who's on the team. Right. It, it's. Back in the day, it was just the cops, right? We had the cops and we had the support staff and that was it. Yeah, I and can't do my job without her. No. I, I really can't. So now we've got the advocates, we've got the co-responders, but even things like our intelligence analysts, right? Who's on the team constantly gets evaluated and it gets changed. Um, and we're stronger for that. We're stronger for having different perspectives and different experiences in the room and on the team. But one of the, so you just said, and you know, I talked about this with the co-responders, it always amazes me when we bring somebody else on board and we invite somebody else onto the team to serve the community 
how much service they provide to us. Um, they, it has never not happened, right? We bring somebody on, we're like, you're going to help us do this better out there. And of course, that's their primary mission. That's where they focus most of their time and attention. But the, ven- the benefit to us, not as an organization, but as individuals, is it's immeasurable, right? We, I think we talked about it when Ariel and Tess were here. It's not uncommon for me to walk into you know, their old workspace or their new workspace and see them sitting there you know, counseling a cop. And we're, we're better off for that. All right. How much time we got, Lieutenant? We have, uh, I don't know, like three and a half minutes. And three and a half minutes. In that time, Chief, I just want to jump on oh, yes. civil Thank service you. test um, real quick here. Um, it's, uh, it's a little bit different in that um, civil service unit of the Human Resources Division of uh, the state has scheduled a municipal police officer test to be held in March. Um, usually it's every other year, um, but they they announced in, in late November that they were going to schedule one for March uh, 2022. And what they're doing is um, th- they're going to merge the results of this test in 2022 with uh, the current list. Um, so I, I don't know if you know, this is going to be what they're going to be doing going forward and offering a test every year. Uh, but as a civil service department, we depend on um, that list for our hiring. So this is good for the Pittsfield Police Department in that we um, can refresh our list. And uh, it's good for anybody out there who missed the test in 2021 and can take the test in 2022. So. We pushed out some social media yesterday on our Facebook page. Uh, we're going to push out some to uh, mainstream media today and hope that they can um, you know, get the word out as well. Um, you can go on mass.gov backslash civil service for more information. You can visit our um, pittsfieldpd.org um, website. website. You can... Call us. You can call um, me at the department, 448-9700, extension 606. Uh, You can email us, um, get a hold of us, ask questions. Um, But that is all, um, you know, information is available from uh, a variety of sources. Register for the test by January 18th for 100 bucks. Um, there is a late window up until February 1st for an additional 50. Um, but if you are at all interested in becoming a Pittsfield police officer, register for the test. So a question and then a couple final points on that. Lieutenant, so I think the last time they did the civil service exam, um, it was all online, right? It, it was through a virtual portal. Yeah. Do we know if they're going to do that again? We don't know, but I think that that's, it sounds like that's what's going to happen because it says testing starts on this this test date okay do we know where people are going to have to go to access that virtual portal or can they do it from anywhere um i didn't see that i I went through the q a yesterday i didn't see that i think a lot of this information is going to come out as uh people register um, so as we wrap up, I just want to say this because this has been an issue for the last couple of years and we only have a couple of seconds left. If the cost is an issue or if when the test locations are announced, transportation is an issue, although the department can't be involved in that, we do have some community resources. So if this is something you're interested in, but you would otherwise 
self-select out because of the cost or travel reach out for us anyway and we'll put you in touch with some people from the community who might help you with that Having, having said that, with the few seconds we have left, thank you for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD. This is our first episode of the year. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode. Join us then. In the meantime, check out all the previous issues as in our podcast format where you follow your podcasts. Be safe, be healthy, but most importantly, be kind. We're 10-8.